If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast, your home for all things Xbox here at Kind of Funny. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Snowbike Mike, and I am joined today by my two gaming dads, Mr. Paris Lilly and Gary Witta. Paris, I'll start with you. Happy holidays to you and yours. How are you doing on a fine Wednesday evening? I'm doing fantastic, and happy holidays to you and, and your family and everyone. At, at kind of funny in spare bedroom. Really looking forward to the show, and the Game Awards is tomorrow. So I'm very excited to see a lot of people from the industry. We are on the eve of the Game Awards with Jeff Keighley and the crew down in L.A., and of course you will be representing the Kind of Funny X-Cast crew, Gamer Tag Radio, and of course you'll see Greg and Blessing down there. Now, Paris, you've been hyping a lot up on social media about your outfit. You know, the kids say drip. Me and Gary, the old school guys, just say you're looking good. Now, do you want to give the X-Cast crew a small little teaser of what you're going to wear tomorrow? Thanos. Thanos. Okay. That's, oh. all, that's, all, that's all I'll say. Thanos. Okay. Gary, what, what comes to mind when you think Thanos? Uh, he's very big. Powerful. Big, powerful, strong. <laughs> um, Purple. I always like that. I mean, he's got a lot of great lines yes. in those movies, right? <laughs> yeah, but like I, I, I love that. I can't remember who, who, even, who, who, who he even says it to, but like, there's the character that's like, you destroyed my life and wiped out my entire race. I've been thinking about destroying you for years. And he's like, I don't even know who you are. That <laughs> 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 like, you're so insignificant to me. I like that, Paris. Well, of course, Thanos inspired. Paris, we're looking forward to all the photos. We know you're going to have a great time down there. So make sure to say hi to all of our friends down in LA celebrating video games all things that are video games it's gonna be a good time gary witta you got something on today that we want to talk about but let's first check in how are you i'm doing okay you know it's um I, I'm, I'm having, I don't know why it's not feeling particularly christmasy okay yeah we, maybe because we haven't got, we haven't put the tree up we were kind of reorganizing the house at the moment so yes. like the space for the tree has not been available until just like the last couple of days when we kind of like moved a bunch of stuff around we're like repurposing rooms and there's a lot of organization going on. So the tree's a little bit late to go in. Obviously, most people have theirs up already. Yes. Uh, I think ours, ours will be up by the end of the week, though, and I think I'll probably start getting into the, into the festive spirit, start playing the, the, the Christmas tunes, and, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like I've got that. two kids. So, like, the nice thing about – the best thing about having kids, or one of the best things about having kids is – I loved Christmas when I was a kid. Yeah. I still love Christmas now, but as an adult, it's a different experience. Right? You, don't, you don't love it the way you did when you were a kid. But the nice thing about, I'm sure Paris can attest to this as well, is the nice thing about having kids is you get to vicariously experience Christmas as a kid all over again, like through their <laughs> eyes. It's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you too. And yeah, it's funny. I get to talk with you and Paris here. First time being in San Francisco over the holidays. First time away from snow for Christmas, right? Oh, that's right. You are, so I, I, I believe historically San Francisco has never had a white Christmas. Uh, pretty wild, Gary. I mean, it's sitting at a nice 
55 degrees here in the afternoon. And so it is a different vibe. Like you said, I'm not quite in the holiday spirits yet because I'm so used to snow and the lights and everybody having fun. I noticed on my block, maybe two or three houses at most have put up Christmas lights and any sort of like effort like that, Gary. What you want to do, if you want to feel very Christmassy around, and this is true in any big city, um, but like go down, go downtown. You know, they have the ice rink and they have the massive yes. Christmas tree and they have a big, like, they have a oh, yeah, giant really like Hanukkah. Big Christmas tree is Huge really cool. tree, big yeah. Hanukkah menorah that they put up. Go to like the Fairmont Hotel where they have like, you know, hot cocoa and they have a big tree and like a okay. couple of years ago, my kid performed in like a Christmas choir, singing all the songs. Like, e like even the most Scrooge-like individual would be, <laughs> would be filled with Christmas cheer. Go, at some point, go downtown and just like, you know, people... People shopping and you know, just, it's all very Christmassy. I love it. Okay. I like that. I like that. Paris, you have been all around the globe. When you're away from snow and the holiday vibes, what always brought you back to the holiday vibes? Was it going to see the big downtown special? Yeah. Now, I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida. So I have never, I've, I've only had a white Christmas, I think twice. Wow. Once in Japan. And then once uh, it, I was up in northern Arizona where, where my in-laws live and we did a white Christmas. Other than that, I've, I've never had one. So for me, it's always been like my family and I, we have the tradition on, on Christmas Eve. Um, we go to a local area where the entire neighborhood, they put on like this whole Christmas light show that's very cool. coordinated. So we do that whole thing. And then there's a, a spot that we like to go to locally where we'll have like a Christmas Eve dinner. And that's been our tradition, God, however long my, me and my wife have been married at this point, like like 25 years. So, um, yeah, that's that's been my thing. Um, that That's what gets me in the Christmas spirit. And to Gary's point, being the dead, look, spoiler alert, since I'm really Santa Claus, it's being excited to have, get all these presents for the kids and then their reaction when, yes. when they open them. Because we let them open one on Christmas Eve. And then we let them do the rest on Christmas morning. So it's always interesting which one they pick on Christmas Eve. So it's always a fun time. What a good time. Well, Gary, I alluded to it earlier, of course. We talked about Paris Lily's drip. You and I are dripped out in brand new <laughs> Kind of Funny merch. And it's exclusive X-Cast merch. So, of course, you can go check out kindoffunny.com slash store for all of our merch drops. And for the holidays, it's finally time. Two full years of the Kind of Funny X-Cast. A year spent with Alana. A year spent plus with Paris Lilly, and of course you and I, Gary Witta, and we've gotten to bring a little green into this kind of funny studio that was filled with a whole lot of blue, and it is our turn to shine for the holidays. We have an exclusive <laughs> merch drop. You got a kind of funny X-Cast dad hat. You have a t-shirt, a long sleeve, and this very, very nice tie-dye hoodie. And of course, Paris, the new year is soon to be upon us, and many of us say, hey, I'm going to go out. I want to work out. I want to work up a sweat. Well, guess what? The X-Cast crew has you covered because both, of our long sleeve and short sleeve combo are athletic wear. So you can go work out a sweat. You can feel good. You can feel loose and you can go have some fun. Hopefully shedding some pounds after the holiday festivities. Just like I'm sure me and the crew will be doing here. No, I, after we oh, eat yeah. I particularly like the baseball cat with our three faces Flip that on thing the back. Around, show they it just, to yeah, him. They yeah, just, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get a great shot of it here. Well, maybe you can. I don't know. Where is it? What camera am I on? It's our three little faces. Look at that. We look like the three stooges. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Curly Larry and Mo. <laughs> Very, uh, very nice. So make sure to check that I rem out. I remember when uh, when this, when we were being asked to kind of uh -huh. chip in on the on the um, designs, right? We said, oh, I like mm -hmm. this one. I like that one. And then I completely forgot that they were going to be real. So what a nice treat. This hoodie in particular is a really a, yes. it's a kind I of funny. Do not skimp on the merchant. This is no. quality merchandise. A nice embroidered logo. 
feels warm and cozy. Yeah. I like that it's, it, you can do like the, like the, you can do like the Jedi, the Sith hood. Uh, Jedi, yeah, you know, give okay. me the line. Give me the line, Gary. What? What's the line? Do it. My well, I mean, when I do Palpatine, I usually okay. go. I, what do I do for Palpatine? I usually do. Uh, he's um, got a lot of great lines. I usually go. So be it, Jedi. <laughs> oh, but but yeah. do it with the hood. Do it with the hood. What's that? Do it with the hood. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I used to. I used to do. I mean, I, I, it's not a good impression. I just That's like doing it. So be it, Jedi. I can no, do that, that one. I, and I, I was taken to it. It was. Like, I, and I, I really, I really do like. We are quite safe from your pitiful little band. <laughs> yes, oh, I love that. Right. Yeah, Is that, that better? Yeah, terrific. I'll have to, I'll have to hear it back. All right, I love that. Well, guys, we've got a big show to get into. Let's jump right into it. Of course, this is the Kind of Funny X-Cast. We post each and every Thursday at 6 a.m. West Coast, Best Coast time on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games and, of course, on podcast services around the globe. Don't forget, if you're listening on a podcast service, please leave us a review. Let us know what you like, what you dislike, and, of course, leave some positive comments because we love reading them from each and every one of you. Of course, don't forget we are now Epic Games partners here at Kind of Funny. So if you're buying a game off the Epic Games store, if you're upgrading your look in Fortnite, Rocket League, or Fall Guys, please use our Epic Creator Code, Kind of Funny, at checkout to help support the team in a brand new way. And talking about support, of course, we want to give a big shout-out to the people who support us over on Patreon, those Patreon supporters for the month of December go like this. Delaney Twining, 1UP Pest Control, Gwinnett, Brian Chaney, Alex Gertal, Jason L., Mick at the Nanobiologist, Aberson, Derek Gregg, Donald Eccles, and Jason L. Thank you all so much for your support over on Patreon for this month. And, of course, this X-Cast is sponsored by Shady Ray's Rocket Money and Factor, but myself and the team will tell you all about that in just a little bit. Guys, let's jump into it. And, oh, boy, I'm sure if you're jumping in just off the title alone, you know it's going to get a little spicy here on today's Kind of Funny X-Cast episode. So let me set the tone. Let me set the story. Our topic of the day goes like this, Gary Witta. Go on. Since the inception of the Game Awards in 2003, when it was the Spike Game Awards, to then Jeff Keighley taking it over in 2014, all the way up to this year in 2022. That's right, it was, it was on Spike, yeah. has never had a Game of the Year. And so when you think about the fact the Xbox came out in 2001... Those awards started in 2003. That does span almost the entire lifespan of the Xbox franchise, this whole pretty, series. Pretty wild, Gary. And, of course, I know a lot of you are gawking at that saying, well, 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 Mike, what, 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 what? Don't worry. We're going to go over it all for you right now. As I said, over the span of the Spike Game Awards and the Game Awards itself, <clears throat> Xbox Game Studios has never <clears throat> had a Game of the Year award winner. Your Game of the Award winners are quite eye-opening, <clears throat> Gary. When I'm going to go through them with you. Spike Game Awards started in 2003. Paris Lilly, you won't believe what won the game of the year that year. It was Madden NFL 2004. And I'm going to go we've through. Come a, we've each. come a long way. That, that very much feels like <laughs> something that would have been done in the Spike yeah. TV era. Yeah. And I'm going to go over the whole year right now, or the whole year. Cold came this. out that year. Madden NFL 2004. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Resident Evil 4. Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion. Bioshock, GTA 4, Uncharted 2, Red Dead Redemption, Elder Scrolls 5, Skyrim, The Walking Dead, The Game, GTA 5. Then the Game Awards with Jeff Keighley began in 2014. Your winners, Dragon Age Inquisition, Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, Overwatch, Zelda Breath of the Wild, God of War, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, 
The Last of Us Part Two, and It Takes Two. Now, to be fair, I know there's the Game Awards, and especially when it was Spike, the VGAs and all mm-hmm. that in, in, in the past, they weren't always taken seriously. They were always Correct. considered more about like celebrity glitz and glamour than they were about you know, legitimate awards. I think there's still a little bit of that, but they have come a long way. To be fair, looking at all of that, I would say apart from the Madden NFL, I mean, I know, was Madden NFL, was the 2004 one like a banger or something? <laughs> but for the most part, I'd say other than that, all of those, I think you make a strong case for all yeah. of them, right? Okay. So yeah, okay. I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you guys like that. And I want to break it down a little bit smaller for everyone. You know, we look at this big lens. I go over all of that since 2003. That's a lot of titles. That's a lot of years. Xbox now finding their footing. Let's look at the past five years, Gary Witta, at the award winners really quick. Two have, or two have gone to Sony, one have gone to Nintendo, and two have gone to third-party developers. Xbox nowhere to be seen in the last five years with a first-party title. And so I pose to the question to all of you, what's up with that, Paris Lilly? Does Xbox not have the games? Do they not have the quality why do I look at this list and say, where are the Xbox titles? Well, it, it's interesting because I, I'd go back to the 360 era and I could think of a couple titles off the top of my head that I could see being game of the year worthy, like Halo 3 stands out as an example, right? That that was a Xbox Game Studio game. Um, I would imagine one of the Forzas during that era would have been you know in consideration for that and you could even argue some of some of the gears games potentially would have at least been nominated i I think like gears 2 as an example so it it isn't that they haven't had any quality games come out of xbox game studios now interesting enough if you look during the quote-unquote jeff Keighley era 2014 to, to where we are right now that's where you kind of i i would argue and i maybe some people disagree with me on this but Last year with like, or was it last year or the year before? Whatever year that was. Yeah, it was last year with, with Psychonauts 2 and something like Forza Horizon 5 absolutely should be in that consideration for Game of the Year. And I'm pretty sure Psychonauts 2 got nominated. It I, was. I it was in the that. nominations. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there you go. I think more recently, you know, they picked it up. But there was definitely, during the Xbox One era, there was there was a gap with, with a lot of their, their own internal games. I mean, I, I think famously look at Halo five as an example of a game that you would think would be up there for game of the year consideration. And it just, it wasn't even close. I think of another game that they came out with like Recore, which there was a lot of potential when we first heard about it, but ultimately it, you know, it just didn't stick the landing. Um, you know, I think about something like because of how it launched compared to what it is now, Sea of Thieves, Sea of Thieves now, Oh, yeah, I could totally see that being in some type of game of the year consideration, like with the Pirates of the Caribbean expansion they've done with some of the, you know, the fun, fun, fun things they've done with some of the seasons here in the last couple of years, but it didn't launch in a great state. So I, I think more than anything, that kind of you going down that list from 03 up to now, it doesn't seem that crazy that they didn't have a winner. But I, it would be interesting to see how many Xbox games were nominated over that period of time. I, I would imagine there would be a few. Yeah, you bring up nominations, and I want to kind of focus on the Game Awards itself. I didn't do all of the writing for the Spike Game Awards, but I will say there was a number of Xbox titles during that 2003-13 to 13 era that were nominated to be in the running for it. But since 2014 to 2021, only three Xbox Game Studio games have been in the nominations of the top fives with The Outer Worlds from, of course, Obsidian yeah. Entertainment, mm-hmm. Deathloop from, of course, 
Arcane, and then Psychonauts 2 with Double Fine. So three out of the potential six every single year have only been nominated there. And one, a couple of those were all multi-plat as well. And that is the hard part about that. Gary, what do you hear? Only three games have been nominated there from the Xbox side of things. What does that make you think? I mean, I have a, a bunch of kind of random disjointed thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, just completely by the by, like a pro pro nothing. It's very weird to see not see a Mass Effect game on this list, particularly Mass Effect 2, <laughs> yes. which to my yes. mind is one of the best games ever made. What, I have to what remind, won in 2010? I mean, so Red Dead, that's the only, that's the only reason why oh, it didn't there, win, because Red Dead go, was like, even, like as good, mm -hmm. if not even better. But yes. for me personally, I mean, my two favorite games of that generation are Red Dead Redemption and Mass Effect 2. But I would have, in the end, I would have to give it to Mass Effect 2. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, so it's weird, just weird not to see Mass Effect represented here at all. One and three are both, I think, people would argue about, but two is an absolute, just stone cold classic. Anyway, that's nothing to do with Xbox. Um, yeah, there's a big gap. You could, I've said it before, I'm an Xbox fan, but the Xbox One generation is just a tax write off. Like, it's a big black hole of nothing. There's, like, I, I struggle. I've had this before on the Xbox. I think that's like, the worst dig I've ever heard for X, <laughs> the Xbox One generation. God damn, Gary. It's like, that. you know, I've talked about this before. The, from the botched launch to the Kinect and the multimedia strategy and the cable pass-through. And yeah. nobody wanted that. And I just remember it was, it was doomed from the start. And they never recovered. But even looking back now, like, people say to me, like, what are your highlights of the Xbox? What are your favorite games that were on the Xbox One? I struggle to think of almost anything. It really was. I, I, that, could have been the, that could have been the generation that killed the Xbox. Thank God it came back uh, swinging, and 360 was so strong before it. I think you know people were willing to kind of put up with the, with the lean years. But that's one of the reasons why there's a big black hole with the Xbox One. Just nothing was going on. Um, I feel like I would need to see a list to jog my memory, but I feel like if there was going to be something on here... Halo 3, Paris's point, I think Halo 3 is probably considered overall the best of the, when you think about, when you think about of their time, Halo 3 is Fable. probably the, the best, probably the best one. Fable, I mean, Fable is prior to 2003, isn't it? Or it would be, it would have been right there. So that was an original Xbox game. So it would have been like mm -hmm. right at the beginning. Yep. Um, and then the only other, and here's the other thing. And this is an interesting point, I think. Probably their best candidate for, a, for like an overall game of the year that's exclusive to Xbox from Xbox that they've ever had would be considered, what well, I think would be one of the Forza titles and probably Forza Horizon 5. The yeah. problem is, and people in the comments can say what they want, I this is nothing about defending Forza. I personally think that there is a genre-based bias Ooh. against driving games and you can, throw, you can throw fighting games in there as well yeah. where, they can sit, where you can have the best driving game award and, you know, the, the, and those games will fight out over that. But the, I, I feel like pe when people look at game of the year, they just never consider driving games or fighting games. They're never allowed out of that box to compete for the big prize. Do you know, do you know, do you know yeah, what I'm totally saying? Gary. Yeah. Paris, you agree with that? Do you, do you, do you oh, yeah. agree with that? Mm -hmm. 100% yes. Gary. I think Forza Horizon 5 Launched last year, and the big debate was, oh, it was so close to the cutoff dates. Oh, we didn't have enough time to spend with it, right? And we saw IGN give a lot of flowers to Forza Horizon 5. A lot of people spoke I mean, highly it was, about it. It was their game of the but, year last year uh, for IGN as well, and that's why it was super impressive because, yeah, there is definitely a, a bias and kind of uphill battle for these types of games. I mean, if yeah. you look at, look at Forza 5, at the end of the day, there was, I, I was ultimately overwhelmed by it because the game gives you so much to do mm -hmm. and it throws so much at you. I actually found it overwhelming. And I, I don't think it's as well curated as it could be, but it's obviously a technical tour de force. 
And in terms of overall game design, all the things, if you, if for people that are willing to really get their teeth into it, all the things you can do, the atmosphere, just everything, it really is like a masterpiece. But I feel like that is something that has held Xbox back. I feel like their best shot was a game that was always going to be somewhat encumbered by the fact that people, like, look, is there a driving game anywhere on yeah. this list or a fighting game? No. Let me break it down. Since 2014, 2014, since the Game Awards inception with Jeff Keighley, here's the genres with you. You have a winner, Dragon Age Inquisition, Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, Overwatch, Zelda Breath of the Wild, God of War, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, The Last of Us Part 2, and It Takes Two. Now, One of those is a first-person shooter game. The rest all would fall into the bucket of third-person, Third-person, cinematic, story yeah. experience, epic Correct. sweep, epic scope. Those are the sexy genres, right? And this, and this, and this reaches back to... A conversation when we had um, recently about looking back on the last two years of the of the um, current Xbox generation is that they is it they haven't delivered the games in that area the the, the sexiest genre that is most likely and you know we're going to see it again this year it's going to be Elden Ring or God of War right it just is yeah unless, mm -hmm. unless there's another it takes two shocker and I don't see where that comes from it's gonna it's gonna be another game in that spirit and again there's nothing wrong with those games I love them they're actually my favorite kind of games the big epic you know I just talked about Mass Effect I love those kind of games those games are kind of the um, you know how like certain kinds of movies are always more likely to win the Oscars as opposed to, you know, things that might be more popular or things that fall into certain genres. That's also true when it comes to award time. We look at these big cinematic Hollywood-esque, you know, prestige dramas, Last of Us, Uncharted, uh, God of War, the things that Sony are really good at and the things that Microsoft are not so good at. And we said Microsoft needs to get into that space with those big cinematic epics. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is, is one big thing that's holding them back from being a serious contender come awards time. Paris, I want to hear your thoughts on all of this. Yeah, so I want to take a slightly different angle on on everything that Gary's just talking about. Because as he's talking about it, I'm, I'm I'm thinking out, thinking to myself, like Lost Odyssey is is another game that you could kind of throw in, into the category from the 360 era that could have been considered, right? The overall big issue is, and they're trying to correct it now. Obviously, Microsoft simply has not had enough internal studios you know, to, to bring out original content, you know, just from, from their first party lineup. If you look at them traditionally over, over their 21 year history, they've always partnered with someone or they've made a big third party exclusive deal to have a game. Cause when I go back to the 360 era, like, like ironically enough, Bioshock won the award in 07, right? It was an Xbox exclusive that year. Mass Effect was also that year, which was an Xbox exclusive, but you don't consider them quote unquote Xbox games anymore because obviously they were made by third party studios. Obviously this Xbox One era, you had you had the, the Fable game they were going to make got canceled. Scalebound got canceled as an example, right? And you didn't have anything to fill in the gaps with that. I joke all the time about Banjo-Kazooie, but I will die on the hill that Banjo-Kazooie is an IP they own and they've wasted its potential in my personal opinion that think about that mario trailer that we just saw right for the movie great everyone's loving it you could have curated that banjo kazooie ip not that it's going to be on the scale of mario but you could have been building it up over the past 20 years to be that must-have platformer you're excited to see what the next adventure is going to be with the burden of bear and grunty and mumbo jumbo and all that nuts and, and yet, bolts that's the next adventure baby well that was what i was about <laughs> to say all we got was nuts and bolts which again 
just it wasn't critically acclaimed you know and it's just sat on the shelf that entire time perfect dark is another one where you had perfect dark zero that launched but it was you know we talked about that in you know remember blank but they rushed it to to launch to get it out with the, with the 360 and they've sat on it and we're we still don't have one it will probably be 20 years before we actually get another perfect dark right so they have ips that they could be utilizing that they could bring up to be in these game of the year categories and they've just simply not done it now obviously here in the past few years bringing on obsidian and obviously this activision thing bethesda and all that they're getting the internal studios to now start building out these ips so that they can have this diverse library so that when keely comes out every december you probably will start seeing more xbox games in those nominations but i think when you look especially during that xbox one era to, to gary's point just it was just a, it was just a wasteland this is an of, interesting of this is an interesting question that i have with perception with that in the future with bethesda specifically where you know bethesda's in the future probably going to put out bangers hopefully starfield is one of them next year mm-hmm. and uh if it hits right it'll you know most likely be a contender for game of the year nominee do you think public perception will think of that if it wins, right, in this uh, hypothetical? Do you think people will consider that an Xbox win, though, even though they're under the Xbox umbrella? Or do you think Bethesda, because it's still kind of its own branch within Xbox, people will still consider that like a Bethesda win rather than like an Xbox as a whole kind of thing? I, th- I think that's actually a very excellent question. I think we're still so new in this acquisition that it would it wouldn't be considered a win for Xbox, so to speak. It would be considered an X or, or Bethesda game. Um, but but I'll tell you this, and this is just how the world works. If Starfield's not great, don't blame Xbox. Correct. You know <laughs> so that's, that's, that's just how, how it's going to work. And that right? means if it is great, we're going to claim that because but, in 2021 that deal went through. So they yeah. are an Xbox first party title team now regardless of it all but now, yeah it now, is funny there will be caveats drawn when that oh, 100 100%, 100%. now another ip that you know because i can already hear the hear the comments coming ori ori is a standout during the xbox one era yeah. and and i and i'm forgetting the quote-unquote ownership of it if xbox actually owns that ip outright or if um, and I'm blanking on the name of the studio, Moon Studios, if, if Moon Studios, yep. if, if they own it. But that is one that probably should have been in the nominations, you know, mm-hmm. during the Xbox One era, for sure. I, I really enjoyed. I think about Cuphead. That's another one. But we've obviously seen that's now gone to other platforms and things like that. And I guess it doesn't it'll never get the nomination love that it probably should get because it's just a forever game. But look at Minecraft. Minecraft is something that Microsoft obviously owns over the years. That's done some amazing things. Maybe Minecraft dungeons as an example, probably should have been in a nominations in some category. And you know, it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. I looked back since 2017 mm-hmm. at some of the game releases, right? We kind of have a, a negative tone to this, but there's been quality titles that have come out from the Xbox team. Back in 2017, you had Forza Motorsport 7, Halo Wars yep. 2, 2018, Sea of Thieves, State of Decay 2, and Forza Horizon 4. In 2019, you had Gears 5, Halo Master Chief Collection. 2020, you had Wasteland Remastered, Bleeding Edge, Gears Tactics, Minecraft Dungeons, Flight Sim, Battletoads. 2021, a year that many consider a very strong year for Xbox first-party titles, Flight Sim on console, Psychonauts 2, Age of Empires 4, Forza Horizon 5, and Halo Infinite all came out 
And so there's been some quality titles coming from this team, but we don't see the recognition that, you know, of course, here on the X-Cast, we believe these teams do deserve and should be nominated for. But when you look at it, we've talked about this chasing trends on this podcast, right? Should Perfect Dark be a third-person action-adventure game? Should Indiana Jones be a third-person action-adventure game? When we look at the tail of the tape of the Game Awards, all of these winners are third-person action-adventure games. This, but we've talked about Xbox giving the leniency of make your passion project, make what you're best at, do what you want to do instead of chasing the trends. This all touches on a, on a, on a point that I've been trying to kind of focus my thoughts on and get to. Um, here's, when I talk about Microsoft doesn't have, Xbox doesn't have those Last of Us, Uncharted, God of War type games. What I really mean by that, when you really get down to it, and this is kind of like my little light bulb moment as I think about this, what, micro, what Xbox is really missing that Nintendo and Sony have always had is characters, memorable characters that you like and care about and can relate to. Sony can go all day long. Kratos and Atreus, right? Nathan Drake, Joel and Ellie, right? It's on, and on, on, on and on it goes. They have, they have great, Ratchet and Clank, they have great, great characters. Nintendo, of course, when you, when you think of Nintendo, what do you think of? Mario, right away. What well, the greatest character in the history of video games. And, but then it goes on, right? Luigi, Bowser, Kirby, Donkey Kong. All day long, all these amazing characters, right? These, these characters are what kind of make us fall in love with the worlds of these video games. When Sony, when Sega launched the Genesis, what's the first thing they did? They created a mascot. They created Sonic the Hedgehog. They created a character to, to focus everyone's attention. And, they, and, and Sonic became the, the, the mascot, the emblem the avatar of everything that was cool about the Genesis. When Sony launched the PlayStation, what did they do? They created Crash Bandicoot because they know that they, even though Crash Bandicoot's never been like mega successful on the same level of Sony, of Sony uh, sorry, of Mario and Sonic, they knew that they needed a mascot, an avatar, a character that could people get excited about. Microsoft's never done that. They launched with Halo. I've said this a million times before. Master Chief is not a compelling character. This goes back to what I used to talk about when, we, when I worked on Star Wars. We used to talk to pe people that were all around the table talking about like, analyzing the Star Wars movies and why some work better than others. We talked about why the prequel trilogy aren't, isn't as well-loved as the original trilogy. And you break it down to characters. Describe Luke Skywalker to me. Well, he's just kind of naive farm kid who wants to be a hero, wants to like, fight in the galactic wars and be a Jedi, but he's kind of a little bit you know, useless and got a lot to learn. Describe Han Solo to me. Well, he's kind of a cocky sp space cowboy. He's full of shit and swagger, but he's got a heart of gold and comes through in the clutch. Describe Princess Leia to me. Well, she's very graceful and elegant, but she's also super smart and takes shit from no one and can kick some ass. Now describe Qui-Gon Jinn to me. Uh, he's a Jedi. Now describe Amidala to me, Padme Amidala. Well, she's the queen. But it goes no further because those characters aren't as well fleshed out as the ones in the original movies. And, and, and Master Chief, like, just now describe Master Chief to me. He's a soldier. He's, a, he's the hero. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they, but like, what, what, like, what does he want? Like, what, what's his goals? Like, what, what, like who is he? Who, what are his strengths and weaknesses? What's his character arc? Uh, it's really hard to get to because he's behind that fucking mask and the story is really complicated and opaque. There's nothing you can, like, get your fucking arms around. And that's what Microsoft is missing, is they need, where's their Joel and Ellie? Where's their Ratchet and Clank? Where's their Kratos and Atreus? Where's their Nathan Drake? They don't have it. They have Master Chief, and it's, not, it's just not, he's not, I know he was always, in he's been, become a popular mascot. People love Master Chief, but there's not really that much to it. Forza's great, but it's just a bunch of cars. There's no characters. They, they need that. They, they never checked that box, and they so seriously need to do it 
going forward into the next generation. Well said there, Gary Witta. Well, I want to ask, what is next? Because, of course, the Game Awards this year will not feature any Xbox first-party games on the big stage for the Game of the Year award, but maybe next year we could see that and beyond. Hmm. And so I want to ask you both, what game do you hope will be the next Game of the Year for Xbox first-party studios right after a word from our sponsors? Shout out to Shady Rays for sponsoring this episode. Look how cool I look. You too can look this cool without breaking the bank this holiday season. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 shades for a fraction of the price and a fraction of that price during their holiday sales. Shady Rays are premium polarized shades featuring world-class optical clarity, substantial durability, and styles catered to everyone and every lifestyle. If you lose or break your shades on day one, they told us that they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked dropped in the lake, off a cliff, anything, they'll replace them. The lost and broken coverage transfers to anyone you gift them to. They'll get great polarized shades and protection no matter what happens to them in the future. They stand by their product and told our team that if anyone has a problem, they throw profit out the window and do what it takes to get it right. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is running their deepest deal of the season. Use code KINDAFUNNY for 50% off two or more pairs at ShadyRays.com. Buy one, get one free. You can get two pairs for as low as $54 at ShadyRays.com using the code kind of funny where you can find all their newest and best shades shout out to factor for sponsoring this episode we all got to eat and sometimes having to prep that food is the one thing really getting in the way of your day with the bustling holiday season well underway ready to eat meal delivery can lend a helping hand factor shops preps cooks and delivers to your door so you can enjoy chef crafted dietitian approved meals during the holidays minus the hassle plus with 34 meals per week including gourmet plus keto calorie smart vegan plus veggie and 36 plus weekly add-ons you'll have plenty of nutritious flavorful options to choose from factors cheaper than dining out and takeout plus the money you save towards holiday fun and you time and thanks to factors commitment to ingredients with integrity you can enjoy flavorful chef crafted meals guilt-free like their creamy parmesan chicken and three bean vegan chili a ton of us here at kind of funny have been so thankful for factors since we've been here in the new studio and you can too head to go.factor75.com slash kind of funny 60 and use code kind of funny 60 to get 60 percent off your first box that's code kind of funny 60 at go.factor75.com slash kindoffunny60 to get 60% off your first box. Shout out to Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode. We all love gobbling up content and we have an understanding of what subscriptions we use or do we? Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions when the actual total is closer to 200 plus. That's right. You could be wasting hundreds of dollars each and every month on subscriptions you don't even know about. There's this app we love using that takes care of that for us, and it is called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all of your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. You can get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash kinda funny. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash kinda funny. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash kinda funny. All right, guys, welcome back. So like I said before the commercial break, I want to know when we look at the future, we know some upcoming games for 2023, Forza Motorsport, Redfall, Starfield. We have the unknowns with no dates like Faber, Fable, Elder Scrolls 6, Perfect Dark, Hellblade 2, Avowed, Outer Worlds 2, State of the K3, and so much more. And I want to know from you two, what game do you hope takes home the Game of the Year award 
for Xbox in the first party studios. I don't know what I hope, but if you're thinking about what's most likely on paper, it's got to be Starfield, right? That's got to be the number one contender. Mm, okay. I don't, I don't even know if there's anything in the same sentence. Like, oh, well, it's it's going to be either Starfield or like, what's the, what's the second part of that? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what you'd put in there. Yeah, that's good right there, Gary. For me, it's Fable. I think Fable is going to tick a lot of those boxes that you just talked about. It's just it's, it's just character. vaporware, though, isn't it? Like, yep. I mean, all, all you're going off of is the strength of the name and the fact mm -hmm. that it's a beloved franchise. And we hope it's, you know, it, it, so it has the pedigree to be good. But yep. we just don't know enough about it. I haven't seen enough to really make an educated guess. I'm going to go with Fable for me. Is right, Gary. That, I, it's a tough one to say. Paris, what do you look at for upcoming games and beyond? I mean, everyone's going to say Starfield, right? Because that's top of mind and we knock on wood, are, are getting that here pretty soon, you know, within the next, you know, six to eight months. But I'm going to say Hellblade 2. I think, I think that's the one from, a, from a, a narrative standpoint, the sound design that they did from the first one, what, are the, what is going to be the evolution of that as we go in, into this sequel, the use of Unreal 5 from a v visual standpoint as well. That's the one that I, I have my eye on when we talk about end of the year award season. If it's, again, I, I hate saying this because it's, 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 it's not a fair thing because it's, all this is very um, subjective, but I'd be surprised if it lives up to its potential if it's not in the nominations. Knock on wood, if it were to come out uh, in 2023 or whatever year, if it's not in the nominations for that award season. So yeah, I'll say Hellblade too. All right, guys. Well, we are on the eve, as of recording this, of the Game Awards. Of course, many of you will be listening day of or beyond. So hopefully you enjoy the show. You have some fun. We get to see some great nominations and some great award winners for all the incredible games that came out this past also, year. Also, if you're listening to this the morning it comes out, just a reminder that Games Daily will be starting late today, later in the day, not at 10 a.m. Pacific, but at 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific, and then we'll be, I imagine Mike will be streaming some fun games at 2, and then we'll go right into the Game Awards live reactions at 4.30pm, so come hang out with Mike, Andy, Tim, and myself. It'll be a fun time. So now, guys, we're talking about quality games. We're talking about the future of what we expect from Xbox when it comes to quality. And of course, sometimes quality means a raise of prices, and guess what? Xbox is set to raise prices on first-party games Starting in 2023, announced this week, Microsoft and Team Xbox will raise the prices for all games built for Xbox Series X and S from $60 to $70. Titles like Forza Motorsport, Redfall, and Starfield will now cost $69.99 at launch and are also included in Game Pass subscriptions. Of course, IGN had the news and they cited with Microsoft, this price reflects the content, scale, and technical uh, Tech, technical complexity of these titles, a Microsoft spokesperson told IGN. As with all games developed by our teams at Xbox, they will be available with Game Pass the same day they launch. Other, of course, companies have raised their price of next-gen titles like Sony, Ubisoft, and Take-Two Interactive. Gary Whittle, we talk about quality. Now we talk about price hikes what do you feel about this 60 to $70 jump for Xbox first-party titles? I don't think it's unreasonable, and I don't think it's unexpected. And I don't say that because I'm a, you know Xbox fanboy. This, mm -hmm. We could be saying this about PlayStation or Nintendo games, and I'd say the same thing. I remember when games went from 50 to 60. Yeah. I think that was the 360 PlayStation 3 generation when games went from 50 to 60. And there was much wailing and gnashing of teeth back then as well. But look, inflation is a bitch. Prices go up. The price of movie tickets go up. Everything goes up you know, over time. 
Um, you know, that, the idea of there being like a $10 bump every generation or two, I think, you know, it's just part of, you know, the economy. It's just part of the, and especially since, again, games, I totally, I, I, I totally, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure that if they did, they would demonstrate that, yeah, the development budgets of games have gone up because as the hardware has become more powerful and expectations have risen, like, you know, a game like God of War 2 must cost an absolute fortune to make compared to like what, say, for example, the original PlayStation God of War would have cost to make because it, it, it's you need so many more people to do the art and the music and the level design and all the support. Look at, look at how long it takes for credits to roll on a AAA game these days, right? A really long time, like as long as like the, Mar the big Marvel movies that have a million visual effects and stunt people. Like it's like that on video games now. I remember when the I rolled credits on the quarry and I sat through because I thought maybe there's going to be a, a, you know, sometimes you sit through it because you think maybe there's going to be something at the end. Also because the music they were playing, there was cool and the credits were playing, they were playing like this bonus kind of pod, like from the In the Universe podcast yes. content. So you had something to listen to as well. But I remember thinking, man, these credits are long. And it wasn't just people that worked on the game at that studio. It was like seven or eight other studios. You know, they were all kind of coming to the, coming to the table to have to, to, to develop these games. It's becoming extremely expensive to develop games to, to keep matching the, the expectations of what we think of from, from AAA now. Um, so, I'd, so yes, it's never great when prices go up, but I think it is as inevitable as the tides. And again, maybe just an even better argument to, if you haven't already to get Game Pass. Although again, I imagine at some point we'll see a price bump there as well because you know these inflationary forces that we're seeing are universal. They affect everything. Yeah, Paris, that's where I want to take it to you. Of course, we heard Phil Spencer stating, hey, we're doing our best to hold off the price hike. We know that others in our area are doing that, and Xbox may or soon follow suit. Did you think it would be the first-party titles going up over a Game Pass subscription and or even the consoles in your mind when we first started this? I think the fact that they're st obviously still trying to grow Game Pass and they're trying to get as many people on, on board, that, that would probably be one of the last things they're going to raise the price on because if you have a price hike on something that you're trying to still build an audience on, you're just going to dissuade people even more so from wanting to jump on board to it. And, and to Gary's point, unfortunately, we're in you know, unique economic, economic times right now. Inflation is a real thing. Prices are going up all over the place. Um, I am 100% not a fan of these games going up to up to 70 bucks. I, I want to be crystal clear on that, but it was inevitable. It was going to happen. And if you go back to things that Phil Spencer has said here over the past couple months, yeah, it's great that this holiday they were able to keep prices the way that they are. Hardware, obviously, there was a great holiday sale on the Series S, things like that. But we knew at some point this was going to happen. If I have a disappointment about this, about the timing of it, it we we just talked last week about the first two years of of the the series X and the S, and it's almost like we get to 2023. Finally, we're going to start getting these games that we've been anticipating that were going to be for the series X and the S. And the moment that happens, you raise the price. So we never truly got the benefit of these these true next gen games at a $60 price point. We're basically following the industry standard because obviously PlayStation is doing, we're seeing a lot of other third parties, party publishers at 70 bucks. So now that we're getting the Starfields and the Redfalls and the Forzas of the world and the Hellblade 2s and beyond, obviously they're all gonna be at 70 bucks as well.
Um, I would imagine if, if there is one silver lining in this, a game like Pentiment, as an example, some of these smaller games, I don't see those being 70 bucks. I yes. think those will still come in at a reasonable price, but the big games like the Starfields of the world moving forward. Yeah. They're going to be 70 bucks. And yes, game pass is a way to kind of ease the pain of that because the price of that has not raised. So if you are interested in game pass, definitely go ahead and subscribe to that now and be able to take advantage of, of getting these games in, in 2023. But to Gary's point, it's inevitable that game pass at some point is going. I, I would not, it's, it's I would not be, I would not be shocked if the price of game pass goes up in the next 12 months. I get these emails all the time because all of my subscriptions like Netflix, YouTube TV, um, Apple TV, Hulu, you name it. I get an email all the time. Oh, we've adjusted our pricing. And of course what they mean is they've mm -hmm. jacked it up. And, you know, and, and I, the, the price of my subscriptions have gone up like two or three dollars, sometimes five, ten dollars at a time across the board. So, again, it, it, is, it is these universal inflationary forces. I think it's impressive that they've kept the Game Pass price as stable as it is. And I think they could probably add a little bit on and it would still be the best value in entertainment because we love it mm -hmm. so much. But, yeah, I would be shocked. Um, it, a, if you didn't see the price of Game Pass go up in the next 12 months. And I'd also be shocked if you didn't see Sony follow suit as well because microsoft don't believe are doing this because they're greedy and they think they can just fleece us for an extra 10 bucks they're doing it because the economic headwinds are telling that they have to and unless sony and nintendo are operating on completely different business models than microsoft which i don't think they are they're going to be looking at the numbers and coming to the same conclusion at some point as well yeah the quick breakdown of course we've been talking about it all these years of game pass right the price of Game Pass for one year is the cost of three games. Right. Now the three games times that's, seven again, is that's mad when you think about it. When you think about what you get, right? Wild, right? And of course, Game Pass right now, $15 times 12, you're coming in at 180 right now. So about a $30 difference. That could be your small price increase for the first time on Game Pass. But we'll see what happens here over the next 12 months. This is your first price increase in the Xbox world here after the statements from Phil Spencer and the mm -hmm. team saying they're doing their best to hold off. But another thing that Phil Spencer is trying to hold on to is that Activision Blizzard deal. And man, we've talked about it a bunch over these past couple months, especially with all the regulatory bodies now taking a look. And yesterday, there was a wild tweet, a tweet that made me say, say what? Coming out from Phil Spencer on Twitter. He wrote, Microsoft has entered into a 10-year commitment to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo following the merger of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard King. Microsoft is committed to helping bring more games to more people however they choose to play. I'm pleased to confirm that Microsoft has committed to continue to offer Call of Duty on Steam simultaneously to Xbox after we have closed the merger with Activision Blizzard King. So Paris Lilly... This was at 8 o'clock at night last night. I read this. I said, oh, my gosh, it has got to be a fake account. Phil Spencer's yeah. tweeting about Call of Duty and Nintendo, of all things, but a 10-year commitment to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo and, of course, Call of Duty to stay on Steam. What are your thoughts on that during all of this hubbubaloo of back and forth between Sony saying three years isn't enough? We scoffed at that deal to them turning down 10 years. Now Nintendo getting on board with this. What do you think? I think it's good. Um, I, I saw it last night as well, and I quote tweeted Phil, and I was like, good. I go, good. You're bringing it to another platform, and look, it's eventually going to be on PlayStation as well, but it's going to be on Nintendo. It's going to be on Xbox. It's going to be on PlayStation. The fact that they're keeping it on Steam, which isn't a surprise as well, you're getting it in wherever you want to go play it, you can go play it. 
And that's the whole point. And I would imagine at some point cloud factors into this as well. But the fact that they're saying we're committed and we're signing a contract with Nintendo to say we are committed to making sure that this game will be on your platform for a long period of time. We've offered the same exact thing to PlayStation as well. We're, we're, we're willing to put, you know, pen to paper on this. We're willing to give a real tangible commitment and not just lip service that to, to this game, you know, to get this acquisition to go through. So it's smart business. Um, I, I'm not shocked at all. And I've said from the jump, I think this eventually does go through. I don't see a realistic reason why it shouldn't because Xbox has said, we're not going to take this game away from people. And all of it seems to be centered around Call of Duty when, as we've said before, the real prize is is the mobile side of this. That's what what Microsoft truly wants out of this. And it makes sense. That's how they're going to reach more gamers is on the mobile side. So if you need to make concessions and sacrifices for Call of Duty, then you do it. And that's exactly what they're doing. So I know, you know, PlayStation is still playing possum with this and there's a back and forth. But ultimately, I think they'll come to the table. They'll agree to something and, you know, we'll just move forward with it at some point in 2023. Gary, what initial thoughts after this tweet? And of course the idea of call of duty being on the switch. What do you think about that? I think that um, there's definitely a regulatory component to this, right? Microsoft knows that they need to be making representations, anti-monopolistic representations so that the FCC and also some of the, some of the more aggressive regulators in the UK and Europe, um, who tend to be a bit stricter, they need to show them that they're in good, that this, this is not a monopolistic move that they're making, that games will still be available to everyone. And, mo- and it's interesting. I, I, when I saw this, I was genuinely surprised because most of that conversation has been around Call of Duty on the PlayStation, right? Because Call of Duty <coughs> and PlayStation go together like, you know, bacon and eggs. And like, mm-hmm. we just, you know, you, it, the, the idea that they would ever, they would, that there would come a time when Call of Duty's not on the PlayStation anymore seems bizarre. On the Switch, on a Nintendo platform, it's really interesting because I was thinking earlier, like, when was the last time there even was a Call of Duty game on Nintendo? Maybe you may, may, may have to go all the way back to, like, the Wii. It was on the Wii, yeah. And, 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 that, and that was when Call of Duty was just World War II, right? Before Modern Warfare changed everything, right? And now, of course, you would ask the question, so Call of Duty is one of the biggest games out there, right? And the Nintendo Switch is one of the biggest platforms out there. Why wouldn't you put them together? Well, the simple answer is the Switch is not that powerful and Call of Duty is just, there's no way to get it on there in any, they, I'm sure they've looked at it. There's just no way to do it. It's not viable. Call of Duty is a really, really intensive game technologically, right? It's going to push your system. Um, and the, sw- the Switch is just going to shit the bed if it has to play a, you know, a modern warfare type game. So here's what's interesting about that. I suspect that in order to, as much as Phil wanted to give that commitment, is it, so he could go to the FTC and go to the regulatory bodies and say, look what we're doing, Call of Duty for everyone, Nintendo, you get some PlayStation, look, we're not keeping any, we're not bringing anything in-house, like this is not going to change anything, please let this go through. And by the way, I do think it will go through. As, as Michael Pachter, who's been you know, analyzing mm-hmm. this for a long time, has said, it's going to go through. It's just going to go through with certain concessions. And, these, and, these, and, and you're seeing that these concessions being made you know, in public in real time right now. The interesting thing about the Nintendo side of it is, okay, we're going to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo, okay? You didn't, notice he didn't say the Switch. He said, we're bringing Call of Duty to Nintendo. They can't bring Call of Duty to the Switch unless it is a massively, <clears throat> massively stripped-down version that I don't think anybody really wants. My guess is in their conversation, with Microsoft's conversations with Nintendo, there's been some assurance that more powerful hardware is coming that they can actually run Call of Duty on. Without, you know, Nintendo obviously doesn't want to 
tell Xbox what they're up to, but I'm sure either there's either there's been a very very strong intimation or some suggestion as just that yes you you will be able to bring call of duty for for nintendo to nintendo for the next 10 years and it's not going to be like a joke how we're going to get it to run on this hardware we already know there's going to be something to, to to succeed the switch in the next 10 years probably in the next one or two right sooner or later the switch is i love it it's a brilliant machine one of the i would put it in the bet in the top five game consoles ever made but it is really showing its age now it is really struggling look at the issues they just had with pokemon one of their flagship titles new hardware is coming and i suspect that microsoft either to strongly suspect that without having to be told or nintendo made some kind of representation to them that yes don't worry we will be providing hardware that you can run you can that you can develop call of duty games on yeah and of course many people will point out Apex Legends on the Switch. You have streaming on the Switch for certain titles that are yeah. superior and stronger than. I mean, that the, I mean that. Handle. I mean that, and that cloud model could be another workaround in the short term as well. You know, like control and other games that shouldn't really have any business running on the Switch, yeah. running through the cloud, actually doing it pretty good. Well, the pressure continues to be put on PlayStation from the Xbox side of things as of last night with the 10-year commitment of Call of Duty not only being with Nintendo, but also Steam, which is very, very exciting as well as a Steam user myself. That is always great to see more games on that ecosystem, more games everywhere around the video game world. Uh, to send us off today, Paris Lily, we're going to go high. We're going to go sore because you are our pilot into the danger zone, and we got to celebrate because Flight Sim has hit a new milestone. In the 27 months since the release of Microsoft Flight Sim, the team has released 27 updates that all have been free. Shout out to the team right there, because that's awesome. And today, they celebrated the milestone of 10 million pilots taking to the sky. Mr. Danger Zone, what do you think about 10 million on Call of Duty or on uh, Microsoft Flight Sim? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, Jorg is the man. I mean, what he, him and his team has been able to do with, with Flight Simulator here over the past couple of years, like you just alluded to, all the updates has been phenomenal. And then just culminating here with that 40th anniversary update that, that they're putting out. Plus, there's, we know there's more coming, you know, down the road for Flight Simulator to see that 10 million people have given it a try, both PC console and, and now cloud. It's great. I mean, more people need to play it. It's 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 a it's a peek at the future of what gaming is going to be be because they utilize Azure to basically recreate planet Earth in that game, right? That's a peek at the future of, of where gaming is headed, being able to use cloud compute, you know, to kind of give an assist to some of the games that we play locally. So what they've been able to do, and not to mention, even on the PC side, DLSS3 is now on, on Flight Simulator as well. So now there's even more performance, you know, with some of these high-end graphic cards as well. So it's great. Happy to see. I hope hopefully more people will check it out. It's a great game. Yeah, what do you think? 10 million pilots going out there having some fun. I know you and I, we've taken to the skies. You happy about that number? I think it's incredible that it's... Um reached a number even anything like that because i mean it's again it's a it's a technical masterpiece it really is just an incredible achievement of, of engineering and you look at what goes into it and it just boggles the mind i've watched some of these 4k videos that people post on youtube people that have like the big flight rigs at home yeah. and really take it seriously and build yeah. their cockpits and they do like a full flight from like you know tokyo to london or whatever and the weather and everything and it's like my god this is a video game like it looks photorealistic it looks <laughs> i mean they're running on obviously on high-end rigs but they look absolutely incredible. The thing that's amazing about that is that many numbers, and it's not like a game with super broad appeal, right? Like it's a niche 
game. Like people that are really into, I remember messing around with it thinking like, even in like super dumb mode, like you've got to spend some time with it. Like it's not just like take off and fly around. Like there are ways to kind of just drop into the action and they do, and they do find ways to make it accessible. But the real meat of that game is for the real kind of dial twiddlers and the throttle jockeys and the people that have, you know, again, like the three screens and, you know, all of that stuff. And so you then, to me, it's amazing that a game that has such kind of narrow and deep appeal has broken out to that yeah. many sales. It's remarkable. And again, I'm old enough to remember, I used to edit PC Gamer back in the days when Microsoft Flight Simulator looked like shit. Like was, <laughs> and the thing that I'm, I'm so happy for people that have, that are, that are into flight sims because on the PC side in particular, flight sims used to be one of the biggest genres on PC. Be flight simulation, uh, real-time strategy, first-person shooters. Like those, that's where in the '90s when I was like really heavily in PC gaming because it was my job. Those were the big games. Flight simulation was huge, um, and Microsoft Flight Simulator was 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 the Mac Daddy of that of that world. It was the one that everyone looked up to because it's always been good for its time. Go back and look at it now. You watch the evolution of flight sim videos over the last 20, 30 years. It's incredible to watch. But all of those people that labored through those terrible graphics and, you know, just they, they did their best to kind of enjoy it, even though it didn't look great because they were running on like a 486 PC or a Pentium 90 before even 3D acceleration. Look at what they get now. Like, that's the dream. When they go, oh, one day, how good could flight simulator could like look so photo real? Just imagine if that yeah. day ever came. Well, it came. It came. And and you know the and the and, and flight simulator fans who have been around for a long time finally got to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And again, I'm just vicariously really happy for those yeah. fans because I mean it's it's, yep. it's 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 evolved to this amazing thing. Yeah. Shout out to the team over there. I am one of those casual audiences that got to be able to jump in and loved every moment up in the sky. So congratulations on 10 million. We'll look to have many more flights. But right now, we have to say goodbye to our pilot, our captain, Paris Lilly, who has to run. And, of course, we're going to end this show. Gary, I got to tell you about Diablo 4. So we're going to oh, do a yeah. quick 10 minutes all about my time with Diablo 4. Paris, we'll catch you a little bit later. See you, my friend. All right. See you. Allegedly, see you, I'm having in and out with Hideo Kojima and Greg <laughs> Miller at the Game Awards. But we'll see about that. But Good. I'll see you guys soon. Goodbye, Paris. Gary Witta, let's jump right into it because I don't want to take too much time out of your day. But we got to talk about Diablo 4 yep. because I know you're a Diablo fan just like I am. And man, oh, man, I was invited to take part in a fun hands-on preview event with the Blizzard team and talk about Diablo 4. Of course, there will be no story spoilers at all. But, man, I'm going to share all of the hype about Diablo and what Blizzard is bringing to the table. To set the tone really quick, Gary, something that stood out to me, Rod Ferguson talked to everyone during our pregame meeting and kind of talked about the history of Diablo. And I'm sure you and I really have good touchstones with Diablo 1 to Diablo 2. And then, of course, Diablo 3. Ten years ago, Gary, pretty wild to think about. Ten years ago was Diablo 3. And now they're looking to make Diablo back and relevant again. When you think about it, you had Diablo 2 Resurrection. You've had, of course, Diablo Immortal. And then Diablo 4 coming out whenever they announce the date. And it is wild to see the resurgence of Diablo and what could be the next best thing and, of course, the new staple of many fans. And I will say Diablo 4 is going to make a big splash here very, very soon. Once that date, whatever the date is they announce, it's going to so, be great. So, like you said, they didn't even have a date. It's several months away. Why were they doing this kind of hands-on event now? You, you know, Gary, that's a very interesting one. I think they wanted to get out there and show us a small slice of the game and allow us to talk about this, right? And so we got to see the prologue. 
And of course, the first section, uh, Fractured Peaks, up to level 25 that we'd like to spend about 10 to 15 hours. I'd probably put about 10 in. I know the lovely Joey Noel on the Kind of Funny team spoke about it on Kind of Funny Games Daily. She maxed out at 25, spent about 15 hours inside of Diablo. Uh, and Gary, I'll tell you what, I got lost in it. I mean, let's talk about the setting and the tone, right? This was something for me, Diablo 3 lost that dark tone, that dark, gritty, medieval fantasy tone that I wanted out of Diablo 3. Diablo 2 had it, Diablo 3 didn't fit the tone, but it killed the gameplay, right? It was very, very good on the gameplay side. This one, the team really touched on, they want to get back to that. They want to make something where you can't have kids in the room, and you could feel that, you could see that from the moment jump. Of course, Blizzard is very well known for their incredible CGI cutscenes, and I'll tell you, this is worth never skipping a beat. I was at the edge of my seat watching every single one of the cutscenes. The story was engaging. I was into it. And also, Gary, they have a lot of heavy presence on presentation and story because you'll also have in-game cutscenes with different camera view angles. Your character will be a big mainstay because character customization now is at the forefront of Diablo. Of course, many will know Diablo 3, you could choose between a male and female character, but you couldn't customize your character as in-depth as this. Now you have a full character creator on all of the five classes, which was really, really impressive i didn't think i was gonna buy, buy into it i didn't think i was gonna love it gary i was blown away by the character creator i will say facial hair doesn't look good not many games nail hair but once i got past that and i made my sorceress she was impressive incredible to look at throughout all of this and it was fun to see her in the actual in-game cutscenes. i took i really took a big little thumbs up from that one saying man that's really cool and then going forward gary i mean it's Diablo, right? It looks good. It plays good. It will be the first ever Diablo to launch day and date on console as well as PC. That's nice. And the, I played exclusively on the Xbox Series X. I can tell you it looked good. It played good on controller. And it was fun to get back into the Diablo world. All of your favorite scary monsters from the goat men to the little goblins were running around these fractured peaks. The world is massive, Gary. It felt like I was in World of Warcraft if you zoom out the map. It is a massive open world that they're taking on. They have some really cool traversal moments that aren't just your normal, hey, you've walked into the new Stony Fields area, or hey, you walked across a bridge into the Forgotten Plains. Now you're like traversing over a mountaintop, hand over hand on a rope. Maybe you're climbing up the side of the mountain. Sure, it's nothing game-breaking, but it's really cool just to see the production go up a little bit of like, hey, that was well thought out to make that unique and different, right? Which I really, really love. Another one is... The world has a lot going on, Gary. It's got missions. It's got side quests. It's got random encounters with big old bosses if you want to find the biggest and baddest creatures. They have these things called strongholds, which are like these big areas that, of course, used to be towns inside a sanctuary of the world, but now have been overrun by monsters. If you beat up the monsters inside of it, you'll recreate the world how you see it. And, of course, you'll invite back the townspeople and kind of make the world livable again, which is really, really cool. And I could go on and on, Gary. I'm blown away by how good Diablo 4 was to play and check out. Um, I would describe myself as a casual Diablo fan at best. I've kind of flirted with the series over the years. I remember playing one and two back in my old PC gamer days. Um, I think I had Diablo 3 on PlayStation. Mm. Couldn't quite get into it. Uh, and then most recently, 
probably the most I've ever spent playing Diablo was uh, with Diablo 2 Resurrected. Oh, uh, okay. uh, which you know, which is which was a very solid remake of the classic. Yes. And I was uh, and I was playing online with friends. We were doing co-op. I was playing with some people that were like real, much more into Diablo. You know, they were going and like clearing out dungeons for me, and like they knew exactly what they they understood everything. And you know, it's it's helpful and fun to play with other people that know the game well like that. So and I, I enjoyed it, but I, after I know I had probably like 50 hours in and I was like, eh, it's, it's kind of done. Like it's not a game that's ever really got its claws into me, but I'm fully aware that people that are into Diablo are really, really into Diablo. Like that, that game has a fan base. Oh my God. And you know, it's interesting because the Diablo uh, name has been dragged through the mud a little bit lately. Diablo immortal, mm -hmm. though it's making, I'm sure a lot of money for blizzard. And Activision, it also generated a ton of really negative energy around. You know, all the way back Bro. from the, the, the that very awkward announcement that they did. Right, y'all don't they, got phones. He said we yeah. all rem we all remember. Um, and you know, and then the game came out, and it was actually worse than many people feared. I remember watching several YouTube because I was fascinated by it. Watching several YouTube videos that, that explained just how aggressive the pay-to-win microtransaction mm. system was. And I saw people say, oh, I was able to play it with, like, without putting any money in and I had fun or whatever. But if you really want to get it, and again, people that really want to get into Diablo and like get everything out of it, in the old Diablo games, the way you would do that is just by playing it a lot and practicing and getting better at it. In Diablo Immortal, the only way to do that was you, at some point you had to start putting money in or yeah. it would like absolutely like chronic, like chronically throttle your progress. And, you know, we've all saw the stories of people that put tens of th these whales that put tens of thousands of dollars into these games, you know, to get these gems. And, the, and when you get into the, the mathematics and the algorithms of how these gems are generated and these, the, the, like the, the high end game items that you've got to have, it's, it's mind boggling just like how much you've got to ultimately put into the, into the, basically it's like playing a slot machine, coin after coin after coin, maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this time. And active is laughing all the way to the bank. And so that was not, I think overall that's not been great for the Diablo brand. And I think it kind of bled a little bit into the early hype for Diablo 4, where people were like, well, it's not going to be like that, is it? You're not going to be put, putting that bullshit in Diablo 4. And Blizzard had to really go out of their way to say, yeah. no, 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 we're not, that's not what we're doing. This is going to be a traditional, Diablo Immortal is its own thing. This is like traditional Diablo. That aside, um, what you've been saying, I mean, I've seen other people that had the same hands-on impressions, and it feels like, the vibe around this game is very positive now. As people are getting closer to, you know, like you got, you obviously got a really good taste of it, right? 25 levels and a whole chunk of it played for like 10 hours. So that's a, 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 a well, more than enough to come away with some pretty solid impressions. And it's like I said, I've been seeing it around uh, the internet and I'm seeing it, seeing other people. And this is for a while. I think people have started to feel like put Diablo Immortal in the rear view and just focus on this. Diablo 4 actually does look really good from what we're seeing. And now that they, it's interesting. I think the fact that they did that hands-on, that they were willing to show so much of it, demonstrates that they must feel really confident about what they have, yeah. right? It was very impressive, Gary. I mean, visually, of course, it's clearly a, you know, pre, whatever you want to call it, it's a early build, right? Because there was still a lot going on from text-to-speech things. Voice lines weren't in there, right? We had a bunch of watermarks all over our screen, so I yeah. couldn't see the perfect visual. So right. it was very early on, but it was very nice for them to invite us in and to be able to see it. And something you took away with Diablo Immortal, right? That was something big they wanted to stress during our meetings was there is no pay to win. There, of course, will be a story. It will be cosmetics only, mm -hmm. right? There will be none of that where you buy a certain item and it will change the way you play. So that was impressive. They have a big, big vision of what is endgame. And that's something that they were working on. We didn't get to see any of that. Of course, we played the beginning. 
but Endgame content is going to be very big for them. There's PvP with the Field of Hatreds that they're going to be working on. So all of this is making for a really, really good mixture of what could be Diablo becoming a mainstay in gamers' minds starting off when this... The only, the only thing that's a little bit sad is that because this is coming, I think, relatively soon, we could see it, you know, in the spring or in the summer probably be most likely before the Activision deal closes. Ah, yes. We're not, it's not going to be, this one's not going to be on Game Pass, is it? I mean, I, I mean, once the deal closes, maybe they'll shift it over there. Exactly. But at launch, we're going to be paying that 60, 70 bucks. Be a very interesting one is right, Gary, that juggle of where does this fall? Is it going to be 60, $70? Is it going to be on Game Pass? When does that deal go through? When could it be a possible hit on Game Pass? It'll be really fun. And to also, see that. it's interesting just because it's the first real big new game from blizzard yeah in a really long time i don't count overwatch 2 we don't count because overwatch. overwatch 2 is 1.2 right that, that's what it, 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 it honestly baffles me that they thought that was a sequel yeah the new world of warcraft expansion the new i mean, I mean again those those are going to mm -hmm. continue yeah, yeah. to roll along but like you th I, I think of diablo 4 on the same level as i would think of like starcraft 3 yes or warcraft 4 so mm -hmm. the games that we're probably never going to see like the three main pillars, I mean, you, 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 would add, you, you would now add Overwatch, but like historically the three main pillars of Blizzard have been Warcraft, Starcraft, and Diablo. Yes. And this is the first time since Starcraft 2, which was a long time ago, that we have seen a, ma a major new full-on entry in one of their key franchises. It's a big deal. It's yeah. exciting, Gary. And I'll tell you what, if you want to learn more, of course, go check out me and Joey's in-depth thoughts on Kind of Funny Games Daily for, of course, December 7th. 2022 we take over the show and talk more about our hands-on impressions i want to give a shout out one more time of course to the skill trees everybody knows that in diablo choosing your abilities and skills are a big deal right and it's usually buyer's paralysis right gary it's just like i can't decide on what i, I want to be but the cool part is you can respec at any time good for a small amount of gold so it was very encouraging to see that and be able to choose a certain class, whether I wanted to go all fire on my sorceress and then say, you know what? I don't dig that. I want to go a mix of lightning and ice. That's really cool. Does it I become more that. expensive every time you respec? Uh, no, it was, all, it was all very minimal. I never had a moment where I didn't have enough. Never okay. at all. So it was very, very minimal. And yeah, it was very well thought out of the world. Once again, that world is big, Gary, and there's a lot of depth and things to do, right? Side quests and main quests have a really great backbone of the story going on. Side quests are all engaging, giving you more pieces of the world. But then on top of that, there's public events where you're going to run into other players, mm -hmm. right? This is full cross-play compatible with this like game, cross -play. which is very exciting stuff, right? And then on top of that, there is, like, strongholds like I brought up. There's big dungeons that you can run through. All of this, to me, after what I just saw, is everything that a mega Diablo 2 fan wants to see from this franchise moving. I'm excited about it, particularly in co-op. I, I think these games yes. are always more fun when you play with a, with a team, with a party. And I can see you guys doing some, getting some good kind of funny content oh, out of it as Gary. well. Already thinking about all the content that we can do. I'm thinking we're going to do a hardcore run. And if you die, you stand up, you're off the stream. Oh, yeah. And we keep it going, which will oh, be yeah, kind of fun. But didn't get to see the mounts. Excited to see the mounts. Uh, didn't make it to that point in my playthrough. But uh, keep an eye on this one, Diablo 4. My hands-on impressions and preview is I'm blown away. And this is one of my most anticipated games coming up. I cannot wait to play this game. But, Gary, we got to get out of here. We got to get ready for the Game Awards because you and I will be watching tonight and or tomorrow night, depending on when you are watching and listening to this podcast. But on behalf of Paris Lilly and Gary Witt and my two gaming dads, thank you all so much. 
for tuning in to another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast. Don't forget, next week will be our final episode of the year. And Gary, we're going to talk about Halo Infinite and their custom game browser so you and I can jump into some cool Halo Forge created. Right, I'll wear my, I'll wear my uh, Christmas sweater next week as well. Deal. Goodbye, right. everybody. Have a good one.